Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. I've traveled almost every major city in our country this year, and it is amazing to hear the stories of hope and the incredible things that are happening across our country, but yet still many, many challenges. So church, we need to pray. We need to do our part. And I want to encourage you. This is not Alpha, but those four weeks of giving, you need to be involved. You really, really do. I should have said that first service. I didn't, I didn't say that. God has not called us here to sit in seats. He's, he has called us to be active, to be mobilizers, to be impactful in our communities and in our neighborhoods. He has. And that is expressed differently. I sat with a pastor just a few weeks ago from Edmonton, Alberta, who says, Jason, I have 1,200 people in my church, and we try to do evangelism, but our church is so affluent, they just think their only responsibility is to give. Now, that might be one of the responsibilities that God has placed and blessed people to do, but we need to be actively sharing our faith, our testimony, our life of what God has been doing in us. And as we love people, we get to see Jesus just flow through us to touch people's lives. So whether you're here for the very first time, welcome those that are online as well. I'm so honored to be here. We love your pastors, my wife and I, our family. We love their family. We believe in them. Uh, we're very grateful for them. I think we've known each other at least nine or 10 years now. When I was an associate pastor, my pastor was like, you need to meet RJ. You need to sort of learn from him. And I've learned so many great things from RJ. You're going to learn today that opposites attract. You know, he's low key. I'm extroverted. I'm loud. I'm Guyanese and German. Give me a break. And so the Guyanese side of things, we have Guyanese and German up here. Let's go. And so uh, that's great. Do we have any more Germans or Guyanese in the, in the house? First service, they're minimal. Okay, a few more. Excellent. Well, we're really honored to be here today and to be able to serve, to be a part of your multicultural day. I can't wait for the food. If you're a foodie, you better stay. You better stay. If you're not a foodie, stay and meet somebody. But today, as I begin to share, uh, don't follow the mob, I want to share a little heart of our ministry today, the culture changers. When George Floyd was murdered, our world was looking for a response globally, and especially from the church. And unfortunately, especially in Canada and as well in the United States, and we have a lot of American friends that are in ministry as well, the church was silent. We saw someone murdered and die on social media, on TV. And it's interesting because I just finished my degree, my master's, I was going to school in the, in the States just outside of Boston, and I was surprised to see how political someone's death could be rather than compassionate. And I'm talking about the church. I'm not even talking about the world. And it made me realize that we've mixed politics and all these other things within the framework of how the lens of the gospel should be preached and how we as Christians should be, uh, you know, should live our lives like Jesus should. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, saying to us in the middle of that, within a week or two, as I was waiting a response from the church, because our black community in Canada was 
uh, looking for answers are young people who my wife and I are passionate about. We love the next generation. We love millennials. We love Gen Z. We love Alpha Gen. That's the new generation that is coming up. If you need a good webinar, Alpha Canada is doing that this year. This is for every parent, grandparent, to figure out how we reach the, the next generation. The Holy Spirit spoke to us and said, do something. Can you imagine that the Holy Spirit would ask you to do something in the middle of a hot mess? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit would ask us to step into an arena that is divisive, but not to take sides, but to declare truth in the middle of all the mess, our perceptions, our biases, all those, our politics and all those things. And I remember posting our first, the first video I did on Facebook called It's Okay to Say Black. You see, the church in Canada, as it was silent, was afraid to say black. And I got up, even, even though I'm not black, I come from a very culturally diverse family. My sister-in-law's from Trinidad, she's black. Any Trinis here? Nieces, nephews, cousins, very diverse. Sorry, we got a, a, one Trini in the corner here. Why are the Trinis in the corner over here? I put him on the front row. I was kidding. He's working, he's working, he's working. He's working. God said, do something about it. And God began to give me something. I was in the middle of finishing my master's degree, and you're gonna hear the result of a paper that I wrote that came out that I've been massaging for the last couple of years, but God spoke to us and said, be a voice to the world and be a voice to the next generation. And yet as the church was silent, our young people, our Christian young people took to protest in the streets. Our young people were looking for answers. And in the midst of the gap and the void of the church being silent, uh, secular social media influencers and organizations stepped in the gap and began to lead the charge. And a number, hundreds if not thousands of our young people began to follow secular uh, influencers and organizations because the church was silent. Church, let me just say something. I understand that we may not be able to step into every arena of every cultural issue that's happening because it is a lot. But there are certain pivots, there are certain moments, there are certain shifts that we have got to be able to step into and lead like Jesus and be a voice in the midst of chaos. If Jesus can speak peace in the middle of the storm and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, then we must be able to speak the truth of God's word in the middle of a storm. And our world today is facing many, many storms, and we feel called to step in the middle of the cultural chaos of the storm and to be a voice in the middle of that so that we reach the next generation. And so we just started hosting conversations on Instagram Live and on racial justice and different things, and God began to do some things. And then it was like, well, maybe we should get incorporated. Okay, we'll get incorporated. We'll launch the website. And, and then last year, the Spirit was speaking to us and said, go get your charity status now, full-blown. We, where we are today, we have never would have expected a year ago that we would do, be traveling and speaking and doing consulting and speaking and social media and creating content and all those different kinds of things. But let me tell you something. We need different angles to reach this generation. And if we want to see them come into the four walls of the church, we need to be speaking their language. And we need to be able to reach them uh, broader than what we are. So our heart, before I preach the message, I want you to hear my heart today. My heart today is that we would live like Jesus. And today we are living in a society where we are seeing so much chaos. And as you can see on the slide behind me here, when we look at slogans like no justice, no, no peace, when we look at different kinds of things, we have to ask ourselves the question, is that our message to the world as believers? 
if there is no justice, there is no peace. How about if there's no Jesus, there's no peace? And so today, when we think about following the mob, one of the things that intrigues me about Scripture is about the disciples. What young disciples that are in their teenage years would put their lives on the line to follow Jesus, who on one end created chaos wherever he went? And when I mean chaos, I mean this. Jesus brought a kingdom very different than the kingdom the Jews thought that he was going, that this Messiah was going to bring. They didn't, they knew that a Messiah was coming, but they thought this Messiah would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish a new political order. But yet Jesus comes and begins to speak and live and preach about a kingdom that was very different than what they thought. Jesus began to step into arenas that just messed people up. It ticked off the religious establishments. Now, let me just say this. I'm not here to uh, tick off the religious establishment in any way, shape, or form, just so you know. I don't know. There may be a few here. I'm just saying. Who knows? We all come from a variety of different backgrounds. But I do believe that we need to step in the middle of chaos like Jesus, and we need to bring his kingdom, not ours. And we need to, and we need to preach the truth. So when we think about following the mob, the question goes through my mind. Why would the disciples follow Jesus and not the mob? The mobs constantly were following Jesus for a variety of reasons. Some mobs wanted to be fed. Some mobs wanted to kill him. And it's just amazing that Jesus could walk through a mob when they wanted to throw him off a cliff. And he'd just walk right through and head on his way. Like, that just blows my mind. We understand it wasn't before his time. But today, a mob, in its definition, is a large, angry crowd, especially one that could easily become violent. We're seeing that all over the world, even today, with the Israel-Palestine conflict. And I'll say something a little bit about that later. But I believe, but, but I also believe, and I've seen, that there's also a mob on social media. I tell you, I've never seen more nastier Christians on social media than I do in person. It's like, we can be so bold on social media because we can hide behind a screen and say whatever we want and offend whoever we want and just share our perspective and just throw it out there without any recourse and just think that we have a right to say anything that we want to say. No, 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 no. We don't have any right to say anything that we want to say. If I said everything I said, I'm sure I'd be dead. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, right? Uh, for those of you that are married, if you said everything that you, you thought, you wouldn't be married. Or you'd have a lot of strife and a lot of problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus, help us. Amen. Maybe the Alpha Marriage Course would be really good for some people as well. <laughs> That's actually really, really good. But I realize that we are living in today's society in a, in a mob mentality. So we have to ask the question again. Why did disciples follow Jesus? Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. I want to read a passage here. And it's a very familiar passage for those of us that have grown up in the church. It's the faith of the Gentile woman. All my life, I've heard this passage preached from the side of faith, that we need to have faith like this Gentile woman. This woman received a miracle in her life as a result of her faith. She was a Gentile woman. Now, Matthew, the writer, is writing to a mainly Jewish audience and on the flip side, this story is also in Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, Mark is writing to a Roman audience. But in Matthew, it's even more detailed in this passage because 
uh, Matthew is doing something, or the Holy Spirit through Matthew is trying to bring to the surface some things that are crucial for the audience in that time to learn and to understand, but also there are some things that we need to learn and understand as well. So I'm gonna start reading at verse 21, and it says this. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was only sent, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. For many years, I was very confused about this passage. When we look at the life of Jesus and we look at the work that Jesus did to reach those that were hurting, broken, lost, uh, marginalized, those that suffered injustice, I was always confused that in this passage because I'd always heard it preached that Jesus called this woman a dog. Now, if there was anyone on the disciple crew, I thought Peter would be the guy if anyone that would get in the mix of insulting someone and offending someone and calling them a dog. How many know what I'm talking about? Peter, that guy got himself in trouble all the time. I find myself there at times as well, but I'm sure you do also. So Jesus engages this woman, but for us to fully appreciate and understand this story, we've got to back up a little bit and understand the context of the text. If we roll back to Matthew chapter, uh, the same chapter 15, but starting in verse one, Jesus is in Galilee and religious leaders come from Jerusalem because somehow they have figured out or have seen that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. Now friends, that is a big deal. For hundreds of years, Jewish leaders, uh, they had these hundreds of ceremonial uh, customary things that they did and washing your hands was a big deal and here Jesus comes on the scene and his disciples not the other disciples but his disciples are breaking a tradition that is hundreds of years old and they're not washing their hands so when we begin to change things in the church it's no surprise some people get out of sorts because they were out of sorts here. Like, I mean, I remember when we were renovating our church, you moved the cross from one side to one side and people left the church <laughs> over the cross being moved. And then when we build our next, uh, when we expanded the church and build out, we were getting a custom cross built that sat on the platform and because there was no cross, people left the church. You know, it's interesting that in, when we look at maturity of believers, you know, you know, mature sports fans sit through football and hockey and baseball games 
when there's horrendous calls, when there's, you know, uh, you know, the referees suck and, you know, and, you know, other players cheap shot others or the weather isn't conducive with the environment, but yet they stay. But us, we get all out of sorts and bent out of shape when little things get changed. My Lord, they changed the red seats to gray. I'm going somewhere else. I love that red seat. I've sat in it for 30 years. My God, the rapture is coming. But Jesus, the, Jesus encounters these religious leaders. They come to see him, and Jesus rebukes them. And in this conversation, in this dialogue, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, do you realize that you offended the religious leaders? And Jesus is like, yeah, so what? And in the end, the point that Jesus is making, it's not the outer things that you do that make you holy. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And the point that Jesus was making was that outer purity has little benefit, means nothing. It is what is on the inside of your heart. So you could show up to church 52 weeks a year, 10 times a week, whatever it is. But if you're not living and loving like Jesus, eh, sorry. It's important for us to understand the culture of that time. Jews saw Gentiles like dogs. Unclean, dirty, worthless scavengers. They were good for nothing. In fact, the Greek word kuon means dog, street dog. And the connotation and the perception and the belief uh, that they had was that these, these Gentiles were the most unclean. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that these people, especially in that area, we are, are, are bitter enemies. So can you imagine that this woman that has an encounter with Jesus, Jews see them as enemies. They see them as good-for-nothing, ragged dogs. Now, for any of you that have done missions trips, one of the first things they tell you when you go overseas— don't feed the dogs. Don't pet the dogs. Don't go near the dogs, like especially the street dogs. Anybody been on missions before? Who knows what they have? This is how Jews saw Gentiles. Also, it's interesting that Jews most likely never kept dogs even as household pets. They were unclean. Don't want nothing to do with them. But the thing that I love about the story is how Jesus pivots in an interesting way. So when we get down to verse 21, we pivot from Jesus rebuking the religious leaders and pivots and takes his disciples and begins to walk north towards Tyre and Sidon. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is this, is that Jews actually don't normally go north. That is the forbidden uh, direction to go. And so Jesus is taking his disciples and others that are with him, and he begins to head north towards Gentile territory. That would be very similar to us maybe even crossing the, you know, the, the other side of the street with the people that we hate. They hate you. They hate us. A very funny story here. We have a neighbor on our street who moved in about five or six years ago, and there have been some people living in this house for a number of years, shared driveway, new neighbor moves in. And he discovers when he's doing some work in his house that the property line is actually wrong. So can you imagine if this is your shared driveway, 
he takes metal stakes and people have been living there for 20 years and the driveway they shared, they now only have this much. And a legal battle on our street began, to, or a legal battle between the neighbors and then all the neighbors, we live on a court. Guess what? Everyone hates this neighbor. No one talks to him on our street. And he knows everyone else hates him, except us. We try to wave, but because everyone else hates him, he doesn't want to do anything with anybody else. I'm telling you, how many of you got a neighbor like that? Don't lift your hands. Don't lift your hands. You may be that neighbor. Who knows? And in this passage, Jesus pivots and he begins to walk north. And can you imagine being in the shoes of his, of, of his disciples and being one of them and, and thinking, Jesus, how come we're going north? Jesus, do you understand that we don't ever walk this way, like this path of the road, we just don't go on? And do you understand they hate us and we, Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to be threatened by the Jews and to hang out with you around the synagogue and the temple and all those places that you take us to. It is another thing to take us into Gentile territory. We don't know if we're going to be ambushed. We don't know if we're going to be jumped. We don't know if we're going to be killed all the way. We don't have any insight into what those conversations look like. And yet Jesus is taking his disciples on a 55-kilometer journey. You know what that tells me? That tells me sometimes when Jesus is trying to make a point and do something, he doesn't always take us on the short road. See, I would prefer that if it was just the street over. I'm sure they may have preferred that it was the street over, but can you imagine what a 55-kilometer walk would look like with Jesus into an area where people hate you? Think about that for just a moment. Jesus begins to interact with this woman. He shows up, and, and in the book of Mark, Mark 7 tells us that Jesus went into a house so that people wouldn't know where he was. He encounters this woman that comes to him, and she says to him, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus, verse 23, gave her no reply. Okay, hold on a second here. Jesus you take us on a 55-kilometer walk to a dangerous part of town, to a dangerous area. This woman comes in, this crazy woman, and as you saw on the slide before, women at that time, not only were they seen as dogs, they were lower than lower, like the B word in our, in our common language. They were the lowest of the lowest. Encounters this woman, you take us here, her daughter is demon-possessed, and you have nothing to say to her? How rude. <laughs> Jesus takes his disciples on this journey, encounters this woman, and doesn't even have the decency, the courtesy, the acknowledgement, the love. Come on. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to be the Christ, the anointed one. And you take us on this journey. What? Hold on. Maybe Jesus was just trying to drive a nail in the coffin that he agreed with how these Gentiles should be seen, how they should be treated, that they should be treated with disrespect, that they should be disregarded, that they should be ignored, that their voices don't matter in any way, shape, or form. Can you imagine the disciples? Yeah. Took us here dangerous. See, Jesus, Jesus agrees with us that these people are dirty and filthy. 
But what's interesting here is Jesus ignores this woman. But when she approached Jesus, she came to him and said in the previous verse, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Hold on a second here. How does a Gentile know a prophetic statement? Hmm. Clue number one, something is happening in this passage. Something maybe is about to happen that could just throw off, uh, throw off guard the disciples and flip the script. Who knows? Jesus gives her no replies, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been desperate at times for certain things. Now, for any of you that have kids that really wanted that toy, that really wanted that thing, like, I mean, think about walking through a toy. How many parents avoided a toy section in a store when you took your kids through a store? Because you knew that it was going to be a battle and a fight. It was going to be pleading and begging and throwing that toy and things in the cart. And when you throw it out of the cart, you back in and the pleading and the back and forth. Can you imagine this woman comes and she is pleading and begging her daughter is demon possessed. She has a serious need in her life. She needs a miracle. Something is happening and yet Jesus ignores her. And in all her begging, the disciples go to Jesus and get rid of this woman. I believe it just wasn't her begging. I believe they were afraid and concerned that this woman would even touch them. Because the moment that she would touch them, think about what a desperate person does. If Jesus is going to ignore me, then maybe you, maybe you, maybe you can convince Jesus to do something. To at least respond and give me a word. But hey, hey, don't touch me. Don't go near me. Don't go near me. They didn't want this woman near him. And Jesus finally speaks up and he says to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Okay, all right, Jesus responds, but we don't get the response. She doesn't get the response that maybe she was anticipating and expecting. But she knew something was happening in the midst of this conversation. And what does she do? Verse 25, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Such an interesting response from a Gentile to worship the Jews' Messiah, not her Messiah. In the midst of no reply, told to get away, and Jesus responds and says, I ain't come for you, I came for the Jews. I don't know about you, but I be gone. Three strikes, that's it. I try to call Pastor RJ three times. Three strikes, that's it. Oh, but you didn't know that he may have been away on vacation or in, a med, in, a, in, a, in the middle of handling another crisis or one of the other pastors, but yet I'm gone. Or I prayed three times to Jesus and nothing happens. So do you know something? This Christianity thing, this Jesus thing does, just doesn't work. She worshiped him. Such an interesting response. Pleading again, Lord, help me. And then Jesus responds again and says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Oh my goodness, Jesus calls this woman a dog. Could he be in fact affirming what every Jew that was in the room, in that house or outside the house knew? Yes, that they were good for nothing. Yes, that they were street dogs. Yes, that because of their skin color, their ethnicity, their country of origin, that they are meaningless and are less than others. 
Jesus calls her a dog. I don't know about you, but if I were a person that didn't know Jesus, I'd be like, the heck with your Jesus. I don't want him. Come on, let's be honest. But it's interesting because depending on the version you have and in the original Greek, the Greek word translated from this passage is kunarian. Remember, kuon, dog, street dog, good for nothing. Jesus uses kunarian and affirms her as a pet dog, that she is clean, she's household pet, that she has value, she has importance, she's clean, she's equal. She has a place in my kingdom and she has a place at the table. Jesus uses a cultural issue and he begins to bring context and paints a picture of their hatred, their animosity, their racism, their discrimination, their bias, their prejudice towards Gentiles. And Jesus completely flips it around and says, hey, you see her as that? Remember, Jews don't take dogs in as household pets. Come on in. You're part of the kingdom. You have a place at my table. It's interesting because I have always wondered, and I'm sure there's more reasons than this, what Jesus was actually trying to teach his disciples. And I believe that these principles are applicable for us today as well. The first thing is this. My kingdom over your culture trumps everything. Sorry, I shouldn't have said Trump. <laughs> Supersedes. That's the politically correct word in the pulpit, isn't it? <laughs> Good. I'm trying to make like, this is multicultural day. We're supposed to have fun, but I'm challenging you today. The principles of the kingdom of God take precedence over our individual culture. As much as I'm proud and I love the fact that I'm German and Guyanese and there's many great things about the culture that I love. We love loud music. We love loud family gatherings. In fact, when my wife started dating me and she came over, she's from New Brunswick. She came over and she's like, why is everybody yelling at each other? They're not yelling. We're just loud. Just loud, loud people. Some of you, some of you families know that. But our individual culture does not supersede kingdom culture. What Jesus was saying to his disciples and to everyone listening to his voice, that there is a way in a way my kingdom works. There is a way of life in my kingdom. And if we're not living that way, then we're really not in the kingdom. It's amazing. We like the label Christian, but are we living like the kingdom? Are we living like Jesus? Do we prefer one another? It's interesting because the second point is this. We also have to look at prophecy over preference. It would have been the preference of the Jews that the Gentiles would never ever be included in prophetic fulfillment or in any part of a promise. It was their preference. And yet they knew it from Genesis chapter 12. They knew it for at least a couple thousand years. But yet they ignored the fact that there are hundreds of prophecies that talk about that they would be the light to the Gentiles. A passage I want to read here in Isaiah 49, 6 says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you know what that tells me? We can sit in church and be prejudiced and have bias and be racist. How do you have scripture for thousands of years and walk with Jesus for three years and miss it and not get it. So is it possible to be a Christian 
and harbor resentment and hatred and bitterness and any kind of partiality towards someone of another culture? Absolutely it is. And the reality is, is every one of us have it, including me. And Jesus was trying to demonstrate in this passage here, boys, if you're going to walk with me and if I'm going to leave the hands of the church into your hands, I need to show you some things that are inside of you that you can't see yourself. This is why everything that we do, whether whoever you listen to social media commentary, Fox News, CNN, or whatever, I don't know if those are bad words here. The filter of everything that we live by is by the truth of the word of God. I don't care who the political commentator is. I don't care if they're saved or not saved or whatever it might be. It's the word of God. But here's the problem. We live in the most illiterate, biblically generation in the world. 92% of Gen Z read their Bible one time or less per month. That's polled over 8,020 countries. So we have a lot of people in the church that are cultural Christians and they're actually not biblical Christians. Equality over prejudice. The apostle Paul drives this home in Galatians chapter three, verse 28 and 29. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. When we look at what is happening in our world today with Israel and Palestine, I have discovered in the church, especially and I'm gonna make a statement here that might get me in trouble, but I'm gonna say it. Pastor RJ will clean it up after. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I've discovered over this conflict in the church, we're being pitted to take sides. Now, now let me just say this. Do I believe that Israel are God's people? Absolutely. God has given them covenantal promises. We as believers understand biblical truth we understand the spiritual significance of what is happening. We understand the historical importance of what we're seeing played out right now. And we understand prophetic fulfillment. We understand that. We understand scripture says that if you curse Israel, you're, you're cursed. We understand all those things, but the world does not understand those things. Biblically illiterate people don't understand those things. But why can we not pray for the Palestinian innocent that are being killed by what is happening. I'm not saying that evil should not be rooted out. Evil needs to be rooted out. And I can't speak to war and I'm not here to take sides on what. But let me just say this. If our eschatology, which is our end time theology, is not consistent with the teachings of Jesus and the consistency of scripture, of justice and mercy and compassion, then there is something wrong with our eschatology and there's something wrong with our theology. Because I read in the Bible that we are to bless our enemies. We're to pray for our enemies. And, and I know for some people, this is very difficult to absorb and to even process in this moment. But one of my challenges is this. Now, I just turned 50 this year. Everyone my age group and up is posting about land, 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 land. And everyone underneath, uh, young people, social media are posting about the horrific loss of life of tens of thousands of the innocent Palestinians. Let's just not say innocent. Let's call them innocent Palestinians. Let's pray for the Palestinian people. Let's pray for the peace of Israel. We need both sides and not just taking one side and saying, you know, okay, Sarah, Sarah, prophetic fulfillment means that those people just have to go to hell anyway. Did Jesus not say that it was his will that what none should perish? 
but all experience eternal life in him. Share this story as I wrap up. Uh, many, many years ago, at, at, at American revivalist by the name of D.L. Moody, he was visited in England by a group of American pastors and said, we want to know what's going on. Why are thousands rushing to, to your meetings? Why, you know, why are people getting saved? Why are droves coming? Why is there transformation happening in this country and in cities where you're going? He took these men up to a hotel room and they begin to look out the window and he asked them a question and said, what do you see? And some said, oh, I see horse and buggy, and I see this, and I see that, and I see that. And as they were explaining what they see, tears began to stream down D.L. Moody's eyes, and he says, I see souls. Why is it that when we listen to the news and we hear about the destruction of people's lives, we lack compassion, we lack empathy, we lack a heart breaking after that there are souls going to hell and spending eternity there, Palestinian or not Palestinian, even innocent Israelis as well, on both sides. But why, why do we have a lack of compassion? Because we're being shaped to take sides rather than be biblically grounded. Jesus also taught his disciples that love over hate. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Church, where are we going? What are we doing? I know this is a multicultural day and we're gonna have lots of fun after, but the spirit of God is doing a work right now to challenge our hearts. We need to pray that spiritual hosts of wickedness that bring division, that bring chaos, be broken in the name of Jesus. If there's anything that should be stirring our hearts right now is that we should be getting on our knees and praying even more, not only for the peace of Israel, but the peace in our world. We need to be praying that where the enemy is coming and sowing strife and dividing the church and dividing people. If we have a divided church, how are we going to unite to reach a world that's already divided? My right, my issue, my perspective. Sure, hold it. See what happens when we get in front of Jesus and see what he says. We could have every right we want now until we meet in front of Jesus and he says, okay, we're gonna talk about some things here. So what are some lessons that we can take from this story? And I wanna highlight this as I wrap up. Number one, racism, prejudice, partiality, discrimination, bias, and the marginalization of others is not compatible with kingdom living. I don't know if this is a good time to invite the worship team up. Team, why don't you come up if you can? Let's be honest. If we're really honest, we're all impartial to people we like. Impartial to people who have the same interests as us. This is why small groups or cell groups or life groups really aren't like life groups. They're celebrated relationships. It's really not discipleship. That's at least what my friend Terry Parkman says. It's people that have like interests. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not against affinity groups and all those different kinds. I think they're great. But if it's just us and no more, what do we exist? What are we doing as the church? Are we... Are we making the table bigger to invite others in. The second thing is this, the word of God supersedes our culture, experiences, and way of thinking. I said it just a few moments ago. It's the word. It's the word. Don't, when people send me, uh, you know, different perspectives of different influencers on, through my DM on Instagram or Facebook, you know, I will listen. I may dialogue, and then I go, okay, what does the word say about this? 
Number three, love. Loving people is not optional. It is a command. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Church, let's not be afraid to call people by name. I don't care if everyone else is not calling people by name. When we break strongholds over our personal lives, we're told, call that sin out. Call people out and pray that God would bring a massive revival in the, in, in the Palestine community across our world. May they have a revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus, show up in their dreams, show up in their visions, do something that brings a, a revival that blows our mind. How about, in, uh, how about in communities that are gender confused? Why can't we believe for revival in, in communities that are dealing with gender you know, confusion and different kinds of things? Let's believe God to do something bigger than our own, fi- you know, than our, than our own finite minds. And then the last thing is, Jesus is the greatest culture changer. And we must follow his example on how we cross, on how to cross cultural, racial, gender, and religious barriers. Church, don't follow the mob. Let's follow Jesus. That is who we're called to follow. And if we wholeheartedly follow Jesus, Pastor RJ, can I invite you up? I believe that we will see revival in our land. So my encouragement to you today as Pastor RJ comes, let's fight for unity at WCF. Let's fight for unity. Let's, 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 let's expose the schemes of the enemy. Not just racial or uh, prejudicial or any of those things. Let's fight for unity on all levels. Historical, other people, voices outside the building, voices inside the building. Let's fight for unity and let God pour his spirit out in this place and explode through this house and through your lives so that this entire region experiences the love, the power, presence of Jesus. Amen. Stand up with us. So Jason, Pastor Jason's been sharing some truth from the Word of God. Some of you are really challenged in your perspective right now. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I like that. I got to go examine the scriptures a little bit more. Some of you are thinking in your heart, well, I don't know if I could ever like those people or ever love those people. I don't know how I could ever pray for my enemies. Some of you have been horribly mistreated by other humans. Really, the heartbeat of Christianity is we want to live like Jesus lives and love like Jesus loved. So I want to invite you, if you know, if it's a struggle sometimes to pray for your enemies, it's a struggle to love people or people groups that have maybe you've not gotten along so good with. Come out of your chairs and come down to the front and uh, take communion with us today. Participate in the Lord's Supper. Don't be shy. Some of you are like, I can take communion in my chair. You're right, you can. But God's calling you out to come down and stand. And as a point of contact, let the Holy Spirit come into your heart and help you with those very hard areas. And there's many of you that need to come down, so just come down. Let the Holy Spirit start addressing your heart. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let Pastor Jason pray over the cup. But I'll do the bread first. So, Fathers, we have the bread in our hand. Jesus, you're the waymaker, and you at the foot of the cross, set all people on an equal level. We're sinners saved by the grace and mercy of God and the blood of Jesus. And Father, as your people, today we cry out and we ask you to heal us, restore us, cleanse us, purify us. 
not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. So today, Lord, as we partake of the bread together, I thank you that forgiveness is released. Forgiveness is released. Healing is flowing through your people in the cleansing of the minds and the hearts and the wounds of the past in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood, your shed blood for the entire world, all of humanity, humankind. You love your, you love your creation. And Lord, I know that there are many who have rejected and have become enemies, but God, to those who you called to be sons of God, we thank you. Lord, that there is no one that is so far and so lost that you cannot redeem or save. So today as we take this cup, we remember that it's not in our own works, our own grace, our own efforts. It's because of what you have done, Jesus. And today we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity to examine our hearts. And today, God, our righteousness is like filthy rags if it wasn't for you. So today we stand humbly, graciously free because of what you have done. And we partake today and we thank you that you wash away our sins and make them whiter than snow. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Okay, so as you're standing with me now, a couple things just to tie everything up. First thing, if everyone could just remain in the room for a minute. If you've prepared something to serve down for the event down the hall, I'd like you the people that have prepared ahead of time. So in other words, if you're gonna be serving something that you made, if you guys could go down the hall now ahead of everyone else, that would be helpful. So you can get set up and be prepared so when everyone else gets down there in a few minutes. And then um, we want to be a blessing to Jason and Carrie and the Culture Changers. And, and so I encourage all of you, sow seed into their ministry today. And then as he travels around the nation, preaching hope and reconciliation and peace and love, you can partake in the blessing that comes as a result of their ministry as well. And, and we always wanna bless people when they come and share with us from the gift that they have. So sow into their ministry, you can do so at the Welcome Center online, just write guest speaker. We wanna be a blessing. And then for those of you that didn't remember, we do have the fundraiser today also for Matthew House, the Refugee Center locally. And um, so you can purchase some tickets down the hall for some food. And uh, Jesus, I thank you for our family here, the men and women that you've called to walk beside us. And Lord, each week as we look at your scriptures and you challenge our thinking and our belief systems, Help us to see the world as you see the world, Father, through the lens of the eyes of Jesus, that you love humans. Help us to let our light shine before men, that they would see the goodness of God and that you, Lord, would be glorified. In Jesus' name. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been equipped. Now go.